listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Bauckham, and this is the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast that's designed to help you save your marriage, no matter where it is, even if you're at the beginning of your marriage and you want to figure out how to avoid those problems that people hit, or if you're in the midst of a marriage crisis, how to turn it around, how to move it to something better. I'm here because I have been working with couples now for over 30 years to get to a place where they can have a fulfilling relationship where both of them are happy. Both of them want to do it. But oftentimes that work starts with one, only one person. And today we're talking some about that one person issue. That's part of how I designed my Save the Marriage system so that one person can start digging in and changing it by using my 3C method. So the first C is the part that we're going to do a little focus on what happens when that's resisted by your spouse. The first C is connection. The second C is changing yourself. And the third C is creating a new path. A lot of times couples don't know that they're trying to create a new relationship of being a we. More than that, they don't understand how much of that is actually what one person thinks and what the other person thinks about that state. So right now, I am in the midst of a a fairly long series, mainly because I've gotten so many questions from people where I'm trying to answer your questions. And if you've got a question that you want me to consider for the podcast, I, I don't promise or guarantee that it will be answered, but I do invite you to submit it. If nothing else, submitting it lets you kind of put it into clear words. Think about it in concrete ways. So even if it doesn't get answered, you get some benefit from even thinking through what question you have. So if you want to submit a question, you can send it to podcast at savethemarriage.com. That's podcast at savethemarriage.com. Now, what I'm looking for really is kind of, I'll refer to it as the Goldilocks of a question. There are some questions I get that are so very specific that they, they only really apply to that specific situation for that person who wrote it. And then there are those that are so broad that I can't really add anything that I haven't done in the whole system. So this is kind of where you might be a little more stuck and specifically stuck. I always reference the fact that, you know, the good place to begin is with the system. That's at savethemarriage.com. But if you still have some questions about it, that's why this podcast is here to get you diving into that. So first, let me welcome you to my backyard. I decided it was such a pretty day. Here we are, you know, kind of in the midst of a transition time. And so I get to look out on my backyard and kind of enjoy uh, the warmth that's still here. Um, I really love summer, but I have come to appreciate uh, the changes in the season more than I ever had before, mainly because why argue with nature? You're not going to win. So let's go ahead and jump into your questions today. Um, and uh, so uh, Lindsay and Jade, um, uh, actually referencing your two, um, we're talking about what do you do when there's resistance or, or more what is talked about by Lindsay is my spouse's indifference. So part of what's going on is they say they've been trying to speak love language, stay stable, calm, constant. Some of the things I've talked about of being calm, constant, and consistent. So I think you put that in as stable, calm, and constant. 
Uh, but you say he hasn't closed off communication. He even starts it sometimes, and it's mostly about our child. But I'm trying to figure out if he is coming from a place of indifference or if he's actually subconsciously trying to open up to the possibility of saving our marriage. And you say, I understand that indifference, not hate, is the opposite of love. So what am I supposed to do with his indifference? So then Jade comes back with indifference in a different way. Um, She says, what can you do when your reluctant partner won't engage in conversation with you? He's not being unkind, but he's not demonstrating positive efforts to connect. I try to generate infrequent small conversations, but he has an irritable response and doesn't reciprocate chat. And I'm pretty alone in this. So understand, first of all, both of you, that that's kind of the standard position for a lot of people listening to the podcast, that they're working on it alone and and the spouse isn't really helpfully contributing to what's going on in the relationship. So that's where kind of I expect it to be. It's not a surprise to me when people write in and say, hey, I'm I'm doing this on my own. What do I do? Well, that's my expected spot uh, because, you know, here's the thing I realize as a therapist. If I had two people in my office both wanting to save their relationship, it almost didn't matter if I was there or not. The real thing was what happened when only one person was really invested in this, or let's say it a little bit differently, and and I want you to hear this very clearly, differently invested. Many times people come in with kind of an unequal level of investment, not an unequal level of feeling love or even feeling connection or feeling like the relationship is going well, but they have a different level of commitment. It's a difference in the commitment level. So I want you just for a minute to kind of think of a scale from, from zero to 100. You can even go one to 100, but let's just go zero to 100. Zero is there's zero of me in this. Zero commitment to working on this. And then up to 100 where I am 100% in. It doesn't matter what my spouse does, says anything. It wouldn't matter. I'm going to work on saving this. Now, rarely do I find people who are actually at zero Even if they say, I want out, they're not definitely at zero. And rarely is it at 100 because we all have some limit where we're going to say, you know, I'm I'm not going to save it at that point. I'll draw the line there. That that place where it it is never 100 really is proof of the fact that when people talk about uh, there being a place where we should have some level uh, of unconditional love, I just don't agree, at least in a spousal relationship. I don't, I don't believe it exists. Maybe that's something we work towards, but I just don't believe it exists because we all, I mean, I can keep pushing you on what if they did this, what if they did this, and you would finally say, no, I wouldn't save my relationship at that point, which means it's not unconditional, right? And so part of uh, what I discuss is what is, your, what is your condition, you know, what needs to happen for that, or what would stop you from working on your relationship to understand that piece for yourself. But what we're talking about here is what happens when somebody is at a different level of the commitment than you are. What's just for a moment, and and I don't want to turn this into a uh, clue into how to manipulate, but understand that whoever is more invested in a negotiation has the power of that negotiation. Whoever is more invested in a need in a relationship 
the other person who has a less investment has the advantage. So less of an investment, less of a standing or less of a need for something gives some power, unfortunately. For instance, let's say that there are two people and one person really just doesn't need to interact. The other person needs more interaction. Who gets to call the shots on that relationship? I am a natural introvert. My brother, my older brother, is a natural extrovert. When we were kids, he had more of a need to interact with me than I did with him, which meant that I could kind of take my toys and go elsewhere and play by myself and be perfectly happy. And that left him sometimes feeling frustrated with that. That also happens many times in relationships where we have different levels of needs for things and therefore a different level of investment. And it goes across the board, whether we're talking about uh, the need for resources or the need for attention or the need for kind words or the need for uh, sex or anything, affection, anything, whoever is the one who needs it more. And, and I put needs in quotes, meaning that, that it feels like a need um, is going to be at a disadvantage in that because the other person gets to call the shots. If I can walk away from something more than the other person can walk away from it, they have some power and, and we have to be aware of that. That doesn't mean you have to pretend, right? It doesn't need, mean you have to fake it. I just want you to have an understanding of the difference of this because there may be that your spouse, in both these cases, your spouse has some investment. It's just at a different level than you. So let's go back to that zero to a hundred. There's a place where you might have more and more indifference. So 50 and below, there's a growing level of indifference. And so I guess if the term is difference, right, or more desire for that, from 50 up, it grows. So that 50 is kind of the point when you start thinking about, okay, what's the level of indifference or desire to be in this relationship or commitment to the relationship or lack of commitment or greater commitment. And it, it hits that point. So in this case, let's assume that both of your spouses have a lower level of commitment to the relationships and so a higher level of indifference than you do. In those cases, you have to be somewhat cautious in how much you are perceived as pulling, how much you're perceived as trying to push the other person into more of a relationship than they're willing to give at that point. So part of what happens for all of us is when we feel pushed, we resist. It's just a human nature thing. When, when I feel pushed on something, I'm going to resist. And the more independent someone is, the more they're going to resist. But all of us have that tendency. If you've ever tried to negotiate with a uh, two-year-old who's having a, a temper tantrum, you know that the harder you push to resolve it, the more they resist you. And try that with a teenager, much less an adult who has some say-so in their own life. And suddenly you see that that resistance can uh, really get in the way. So first of all, I want to point out one thing to consider, and that is the difference between indifference and defensive. They're not the same thing, but they can feel very similar. I can act like it doesn't matter to me, which is different than it not mattering to me. So sometimes people pretend to be indifferent. It's kind of like playing a game of poker. You know, if I got a great hand in front of me, I might act like it's nothing. In fact, you know, really good poker players will not tell you whether they have a good hand or a bad hand. 
they're going to be indifferent about that as a way of defending their hand. So understand that that term. Sometimes when people are acting indifferent, it doesn't mean they are. They're actually being more defensive. They just don't know how to express what they're really feeling. And so they're trying to disconnect from the emotions. This is particularly true when a relationship has been through conflict. Sometimes people assume that the safer thing to do is just to avoid the possibility of interaction that could lead to the possibility of conflict. And so they play that off as some level of indifference when really it's a fairly defensive spot. Now I want to take it one more step on this defensive piece. Do remember one very central element that is true for humans We have two basic fears that are within us around relationships. We have a fear of intimacy and a fear of abandonment. In both of those fears, one way to deal with it is defensively. And so our fear of intimacy is our fear that we will lose ourselves to the relationship. We'll lose our self-identity to the relationship. Later on today, I'm going to have a a talk with a group of coaches to help them understand that there is uh, a misunderstanding of individuality and relationship. A lot of times we, we feel that in order to be an individual, we have to um, kind of be apart from relationships. That's the myth of the fear of intimacy, that if I am, the more I am in a relationship, the less I am of myself, when in reality, the more we are of ourselves, the more we can be in relationship with other people and hold on to some clarity of our identity. Now, the place where we are most part of those relationships is in family and intimate relationships. Marriage is particularly true for that. And so it is more likely to trigger that fear of intimacy than any other adult relationship we have. And so sometimes if people have an underlying fear of intimacy, one way for them to deal with it, not in a healthy way, but one way to deal with that fear is to withdraw from it, to avoid that. And so if somebody has a, that is a primary fear we all have both fears, but we all have a primary and more and a secondary fear of those two. So if it's a primary fear, one way for me to deal with that would be to distance myself. And so a spouse who has a fear of intimacy, whenever a spouse seems to move towards them in an intimate way, they're going to pull back in order to hold on to their themselves, their identity, their self-identity. And so that may be a piece of the puzzle that you're looking at, a piece of of what's going on as you're trying to relate, they're feeling the pull. And so they pull. They try to avoid that. Now, the other fear is the fear of abandonment. The fear of abandonment is about losing this important relationship. And often the one who is more invested in saving it is more at risk of being pulled into that fear there is more of a likelihood of being pulled into that fear of abandonment. And so what do we do when we feel this fear of abandonment? Well, we, we either do one of two things. We abandon first or try to force the other person into relationship, into more of that to secure ourselves. So somebody who has a high level of a fear of abandonment will either avoid relating or will hold on to the other person so tightly 
that it really it becomes a dysfunctional relationship. And by the way, they trigger each other. If one person has a fear of intimacy and the other person has a fear of abandonment, they can trigger each other. So the person who has that fear of intimacy triggers more of the fear of abandonment, leading to the person to want to pull the person in, triggering their fear of intimacy, and around it goes. And there's not a starting point. Just understand it's not like one start of that and the other follows suit. It happens in a dance, in a circular dance. The fear of abandonment can trigger the fear of, abandon- of intimacy, which fi- triggers the fear of abandonment, which triggers the fear of intimacy. And you can see how playing off of each other can expand that. All of us can be triggered for the other at any point. So sometimes I watch people who have a fear of intimacy avoid the relationship, avoid the relationship, avoid the relationship, and suddenly someone pulls back a little bit because the other person gets frustrated that they can't get any relationship, and they trigger the fear of abandonment in the person who had been suffering from the fear of intimacy, and suddenly they're chasing the spouse that they had been avoiding before. And the same can happen the other way. So understand that there can be a difference between indifference and defensive. Next thing I want you to think about is that there are always other ways to connect. There are actually three pieces to connection, three ways of connecting. And generally when we're, ha- we're trying to have conversations with other people, that is a level of emotional connection. When we're having conversations, we're trying to get to a level of emotional connection. It's possible that that conversation is also an attempt at spiritual connection. Spiritual connection is when we're trying to share our dreams, our hopes, our desires for what life is about, what's deep and meaningful to us, what our values are. Sometimes those are conversations we have early on in a relationship about what the world means to us and what we want to do in the world and how we want to, you know, kind of have our biggest impact in the world. What are our dreams for life? You know, what are our hopes for where we're going to go? That often is something that's shared early in the days of a relationship. And then sometimes couples stop sharing that along the way. They stop having those conversations and therefore they lose their spiritual connection. Sometimes when people have a shared religious or spiritual practice, that can also be a spiritual connection point. Sometimes that's very hard to get to if you're not having deep conversations. And so people often default to how's your day conversations, which really don't have even a lot of emotional connection to them. And part of what often happens is we have such a desire for connection that when we we have this deepest need for connection and all we're getting is, how's your day? What's going on with you? While we won't risk a deeper one, we don't enjoy that one. And so we end up even fighting the basic levels of connection. So the third way we connect is physical. And all of these are part of the connection pool that we're trying to fill. It's, it's part of our connection cup. We're trying to put connection and, and get connection in our own cup. Put connection in your spouse's cup. Get connection in your own cup. Same thing you're doing with your kids. You know, how do you connect with a child? Same three ways. Talk about what's important to you. Talk about what lessons life gives you. Uh, show them how to take on challenges. Listen to them and, and help them understand that you get them. You hear them. You understand where they're coming from. So they feel that emotional connection. You hug them. You kiss on them. That's the physical connection. You know, that all of this fits not just for spouses, but in life. And so 
that same wiring is true, that we need this level of connection to fill our cup and to fill others' cups that we want to have that connection with. So you start looking for the other ways to connect, the other possibilities of connection that are there. You know, touching an arm, giving a hug, uh, rubbing a back. And here's another one that is often missed, sitting with. There is some connection at sitting with somebody. It's not an accident that in our lives sometimes what we do is just be with somebody, sit with them. I learned long ago as a chaplain that sometimes the most I can do in the midst of a crisis is be near somebody and maybe pat their hand and hold their hand. And that that's a lot more important than the words. And what that means is you start looking for other ways of having that connection. And part of what you understand about that is when there are other ways of connecting, they may not be receptive to that either. And just understand that what you're looking for are the other avenues and routes through that. Which leads to another piece. Um, So what happens when somebody is kind of reluctant to have you speak their love language? Well, usually people, when they are feeling some level of disconnection, start protecting their primary love connection. That's Gary Chapman's thing is we all have a primary love language. Uh, we have some way we understand love. And, um, you know, whether it's about gifts or acts of service or um, quality time or, um, you know, words of affirmation uh, or touch, all of those are, one of those would be a primary love language. But here's the thing. Lots of people have a secondary or a couple of secondary love languages that may not be quite as high but still mean a lot. And so if you can't get traction with the primary because they've defended it so well, start looking for the secondary to speak those languages to see if that uh, begins to build some bridges so that, as as Gary talks about, filling that love tank can happen. And once you've got enough in the love tank, then it's easier to speak their primary love language. When the love tank is empty, it's hard to fill it with the primary because, you know, that's just so defended by people. Think about how you know, your own love language, you know, my love language of touch. If, if I don't want to be near somebody, I don't want to be touched by them because that means so much to me, right? And uh, I'm, I'm also careful with how I deliver that in the world because, you know, that I don't want it to be misrepresented or misunderstood. And so understand that we are pretty careful with our primary love language sometimes, especially in those places where we're struggling, those relationships where we're struggling. Okay, so now the final thing I want to talk about is the fact that in my 3C approach of connecting, of changing yourself, and of creating a new path, if somebody doesn't want to connect with you or you're finding yourself not connecting as much as you want to, that doesn't eliminate the other two C's that you have to work on. You can still work on changing yourself, which basically is how do you self-expand? How do you expand yourself into new ways of being? It's not how do you fix where you're broken. You may decide that there are places where you do need uh, to work on your own, uh, your own health and, and who you are. But this is more about your path of growing into more and more of yourself, of deciding where maybe you haven't been as fully expanded into the world as you want to be. That's self-growth, but it's also just self-development you know, and self-being and self-worth and 
self-investment, how you make an impact, how you find meaning, how you experience new things in the world, how you grow into new possibilities. All of that is part of that seat. And guess what? You're in full control of how you change yourself. So you can always focus on that. A lot of times people are like, well, I, you know, my spouse doesn't want to have anything to do with me right now, so I guess I, guess I can't do anything. Wrong. You always have the capacity of working to grow and change and become who you best are in the world. Also, that third one of creating a new path, so much of that happens in your own mind. How you think of your relationship as being a we, how you think of being a team, how you make decisions based on your own mindset of being that team, all of that is still within your control no matter what a spouse does in connection with you. So take advantage of working on those two other areas. Okay, so hopefully that uh, gave some help uh, to both of those for Lindsay and Jade of thinking about how you might move through the times when it's a little harder to get that those basic pieces of connecting with a spouse through conversation or uh, whether there's something is really changing here. That's the one piece that I do want to comment on is you know, whether it's coming from a place of indifference and, and Lindsay, this is your thing of how to figure out whether it's a place of indifference or actually subconsciously starting to open up. Neither one of those should change your own plan. You know, that what you're trying to do is continue working to do the best you can to create, to, to weave a path. So whether it's some level of indifference or actually an opening doesn't change how you interact around that. I think what you're really looking at is, you know, for encouragement, and that's a dangerous thing to be looking for the signs, to be, as I call it, reading the tea leaves as a way of finding that. So don't get pulled into that. Okay, so what if you are at this place of, of even, maybe even further back, you can't even have a good conversation now? Or maybe you're further along and you still need to figure out you know, kind of how to put these pieces together. Well, that's what the Save the Marriage system is about. So this is the kind of the place. Uh, you could call it a commercial or, or ask the basic question, why does Lee keep talking about the system? Because I've seen it used so many times around the world with people who are ready to work on the relationship or ready to find the real reasons why marriages get into trouble and how to turn that around. That's, that's why I created the system. If this has made a lot of sense to you and maybe you've listened to other podcasts and you're going, yeah, they make a lot of sense to, to you also, wow, you know, that tells me that it's time for you to grab the system and really get down to it. So go to savethemarriage.com and start with the system. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.